You are listening to the Logos broadcast with Fergus James Murphy. I am joined today by Mary Hannafin. At the moment, Mary is a Fianna Fáil councillor on Dunleary Rathdown County Council, representing the Blackrock area. But she will be known by most people around Ireland for her time as a TD and as a government minister for Fianna Fáil in cabinets led by Bertie Ahern and Brian Cowan. And for a short period of time, she served as deputy leader of her party. She lost her Dáil seat in 2011 in an election that saw a near wipeout of Fianna Fáil across Dublin. In 2011, Hannafin came fifth in a four-seat constituency, and in 2016 she came fourth in an election where only three seats were available. So, Mary, will you run again in the next election? I'm beginning to feel a bit like Saoirse Ronan, you know, always being nominated and never actually getting the award. Um, yes, I, I've been nominated, um, nominated there about two years ago for the forthcoming election. Okay. Um, and luckily, John Leary will be back as a full four-seater the last time the Count Corla has an automatic seat. Mm. Uh, so that kind of swiped that one from under my nose. Yes. Um, so hopefully now having won the local elections in 2014 and again in 2019, both times on the first count, and the last time I increased my vote by twenty percent. Wow. So that was kind of encouraging. So you're not you're not on the decline. I remember joking to friends or, or being embarrassed as a personal member of that constituency. I live in the area, as you know, and three of the four representatives were Finnegan. And it was just perfectly representative of the stereotype of the area as a middle class uh posh area, I suppose. And I was just I didn't like that personally, but now Maria Bailey has suffered a bit of a, a, a public annihilation. Sean Barrett, I believe, is retiring, That's so there's right. two seats open up there. And Mary Mitchell O'Connor, I don't know, will the voters back her? Maybe they will, but I think now is a good time for you to kind of get in there. Is that fair? It's a constituency that does change a lot. There was a time when Fine Gael had three, and then they went to none. Hmm. Fianna Fáil used to have two, and then we went to none. And then Fianna Gael came back with three, so it, you do get the swings and the roundabouts in that constituency. Okay. Um, it can also be a kind of barometer um, for the rise and fall of other parties. For wow. example, the rise of the left with um, Richard Boyd Barrett having been elected. Yes. Um, we used to have a Green TD, we may well have a Green TD the next time. Um, so it's a constituency you can absolutely never take for granted. Fair enough. Um, and it is a very, very diverse constituency anyway yes I mean just because you come from the posh end but you know it, it no, is no it's not that's the thing it wasn't representative of of any constituency of any constituency no, that's the that's but that's the only thing. because one was automatic yes fair yes, enough so if you yeah. look any closer you'll see that yes yeah you're right there what are your personal highlights over your career that 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 you've had um, I've, I've really been very fortunate now because, I mean, this year I'm 25 years elected, um, 11 years on a council, both Dublin City Council and Dunleary, and then almost 14 as a TD, um, including 11 as a minister. So, to be honest now, it's been quite a charmed political existence. There's yeah. many people who were elected for far longer to the Dáil and never got to be a minister. Um, so, I have to say probably... Any day you're elected to a national parliament anywhere mm. in the world is a highlight. Really? You know, so that was really special. And then the day that I was appointed a junior minister, because I was only a backbencher for two and a half years, um, and to be put in that role as Minister for Children was 
not only kind of a privilege, but hugely exciting, mm. really, really exciting. And I loved that role. I absolutely loved it. Why? Um, because even though I was only junior minister, I actually had full responsibility for the brief. Um, and one of the things I enjoyed doing was we were developing the first national strategy for children. And I suggested that we would consult directly with children mm. and the department and the officials. Said, oh, no, no, Minister, you can't do that. What if, what if a child tells you they've been abused? What if a child tells you they're from a broken home? What if a child tells you they're poor and they're hungry, whatever else? Mm. I said, we'll deal with it. That's the truth. You see, because I had been teaching for long enough to know that I could handle what children would say. Yeah. Um, so we did public consultations all over the country. And the interesting thing about it was it actually changed the focus of the whole strategy. Wow. Because the original intention was that the first aim of the, for children would be to provide services for them. And the second one would be to give them a voice mm. in matters that affected them. And those two things were reversed. Right? So if you look over the last number of years, giving children a voice has become a central part of a lot of policies. Mm. For example, in the family court, courts, you now have to listen to children where there's custody issues and where there's family breakdown. You would take responsibility for that in, in a big way? I would say it started in an official way to get it written into a government strategy that all departments signed up to. Mm. And whereas it might have started just on paper, it then became school councils. I established the Corlin and Oak, which means that every council in Ireland yeah. has to have a youth council to hear their voices. We had the Dolna Nog, which is very similar to what happened this year on climate change. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it started giving children a voice. Okay. Um, and it also meant that senior officials and government departments were no longer afraid mm. of listening to young people. I get you. And now we see young people in, in the, at the centre of, of some politics in a way that is not absolutely unprecedented, but it's definitely rising at the moment. So you see someone, do you, are you glad to see someone like Greta Thunberg, for example, in, in the media as prominently as she is? I think she won Time Magazine's Person, Person of the Year. Person of the Year, extraordinary for, for a girl of her age. Yeah. Now, you were, are you, are you, how, how do you see that? Okay, well, first of all, I mean, when you say there's a rise in the number of young people, there were always young people involved and interested, but they were more on an individual basis rather than this mass uh, contribution and mass debate and mass involvement. Right? Mm. Um, any day that Donald Trump takes on a 16-year-old, you know she has won. Right? Mm. If the President of America is tweeting about you, yeah. she has won. Mm. Right? Um, she's a household name, and I give her full credit for that. Um, being an educationist, I just hope she doesn't let her education fall to one side, but yeah. we'll talk about education, I'm sure. Um, and she has mobilised. She's tapped in. Now, she, she didn't mobilise the young people, but she tapped into a feeling. Yes. Um, and gave them the opportunity then uh, to be able to do the Fridays and to be able to um, do the action campaign. The one thing that would concern me, and it's not just about climate change, but it has also happened in the social change referendum that happened in Ireland in the last decade. Mm -hmm. right? Huge number of young people being involved, canvassing, coming home to vote, campaigns to get people out to vote. So they're now activists but they're not joining the political parties right and particularly women are not joining the political parties mm. and they're not standing for election and in the end of the day other than the referendum where the people make the decision mm -hmm. but when it comes to the likes of climate change and lots of other policies the decisions are going to be made 
by government. Yes. So you have to be in government to make that decision. Mm. So what I would like to see is to get young people to continue their active involvement mm. in political issues, but to do it also in the formal political process. Well, we saw someone like George Lee in at the towards the end of the previous decade, not the last decade, the second That's last right. decade. Go in, or I don't know what year he ran that by-election, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, 96 maybe, or 95, No, 96. no, it was, it was George Lee, he ran Oh no, he was, yeah. more recently. It was basically, he was on the TV telling us all about the recession, and he wanted to make a change. He went into Fine Gael, and he was out within a couple of months or a couple of years. He, he won that by-election, and uh, he kind of said, well, geez, no one's listening to me. So, do you think that's an apathy that, that many people feel? I would suspect that it is, because... And that's why they take to activism. You want to be careful about activism, obviously, that it's informed. But the people might say, geez, if I try and get into this all, ah, sure, they're all the same. Do you know, I can't really get anything that I want to get done. Well, first of all, they're not all the same. But they will always be the same if you don't join it. I agree with you. Right? Um, so unless you get a gender mix, mm. a diverse mix, mm. an age mix, yeah, you're going to get male and male. Mm. Um, so I would be the first to encourage people uh, to try and go forward. Mm. I think what happens with people who are celebrities mm. before they get elected is that they don't realise, no, you're not going to be a minister in your first day. Mm. Right? And there is a certain sense of almost entitlement among some people. Oh, I'm a very important person and I should be a minister. Mm -hmm. right? uh, it doesn't work that way. You need to prove yourself at least for some couple of years, yeah. that you're actually able uh, not only to talk the talk, but you can bring people with you. Yeah. Right? So, whereas when I say, you know, obviously being appointed Minister for Children was a very important highlight for me. Being appointed Minister for Education was, in many ways, obviously a greater one, because that was as a member of the Cabinet. Mm, sitting um, around the table. Well, in 100 years, there's only been 19 women. Right, I was 11, mm. number 11. Um, you probably don't, or I didn't really realise what a distinct privilege that was mm -hmm. from that perspective until you're looking at it back from the outside. Um, but, I mean, education was my background. Mm -hmm. I had been teaching for a number of years, or a whole pile of things I wanted to do in education, mm -hmm. and I was very welcomed into that whole sector. And you, so, so that was a big You enjoyed that, that, that privilege. You have not been at the centre of national politics during this time of upheaval and uprooting, so I'd be interested to hear how do you process that, say, the, the two referendums? Like, do you see those as both a move in the right direction? Do you think we went about those seismic shifts in, in Ireland the right way? I think if you were to look forward in 2010, you could never have envisaged what was going to happen in that decade. Mm -hmm. right? When you look back at it, you see, in fact, it was um, an incremental shift. I think particularly in the, the marriage equality one was probably incremental. Um, I still think the abortion referendum was such a seismic shift that, shift that it hasn't been analysed at all yet no. uh, as to how it came about. We haven't really stood back and, and looked, you don't no, think? No, no, not that one. Um, okay. In both cases, I think personal stories and personal testimony um, added to the, the, the result mm -hmm. um, and people being very honest about their own personal circumstances and going on national media and talking about being very courageous and mm -hmm. fairness to them. And I think that swung the debate hugely. Mm -hmm. um, and analysts and historians will look back and say, oh, it's the decline of the church and it's um, 
a new modern society and yes. it's the influence of the rest of the world, etc. And all those are important too. But for me, I, I think, I know a lot of people were influenced by personal testimonies. I was struck actually, yeah, in a similar vein, there's a video of Michael Harding and he's talking about how he would see individual people and it, and it was all about the woman down the road, you know, the woman who could be your daughter kind of thing. Do you think the media was fair in, in, in that, I suppose, both specifically in that referendum and more generally, do you think the media does a good job of discussing these issues seriously? I, I would maybe wonder, is there a, too much of an emphasis on the headline and not enough in the fine print, very basically? Uh, well, the decline of the print media and the decline of younger people listening to uh, radio, uh, I think the people means the people are actually going for the headline um, or they're going for the short snippet. Um, that you read on the app or you see on the Twitter or the whatever number of characters. Um, and that in its own way is dangerous, right? Um, I don't believe the media coverage was ever balanced in those referenda. But having said that, the debate had been going on for 20 years. Um, so a lot of people knew where they stood one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but the absence of real debate is something that we're going to see even more mm. over the next few years, yeah. despite the fact that we have a hugely well-educated population. Well, the, the, the funny thing is a very, very simple statistic that was on paper in our referendums was about two-fifths of the country voted mm. no to the same-sex marriage, about a third of the country voted no to uh, abortion, and no major party was on the side of those people mm. in those issues. Mm. So you wonder, there's a yeah. bit of an imbalance there, isn't there? Um, like in the mainstream political arena, I don't know if these things are being examined yeah. in the way that, that, the, that would represent the people. No, and I think what's going to happen over the next few years is that major political parties are going to close the book on those and say, they're done now, thanks very much, bye-bye, let's move on. Mm. Right? Um, whereas... I mean, social issues are still very much at the heart of communities all over the country. Mm. Um, so you can't just say, well, we're going to deal with the economy now, and we're going to deal with employment, and we're going to look at Brexit, and we're going to see what's going to happen between America and Iran. They're all usually important, but so too are the way people live their lives. Yeah. I remember the son, a friend of mine, the son of a politician of a minor party, uh, he was saying Fianna Fáil should have just for political reasons, it was just anecdotal, he said Fianna Fáil should have been on the no side in the uh, same-sex marriage campaign because their voters would have been on that side. Do, 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 well, you, do see, you mind telling me about... But the majority, the, the majority of members of the parliamentary party came out um, and took a stance uh, on abortion, that took a stance against. Um, if you go so back even though the party didn't, individuals did. If you go back, though, to uh, 2014, or was it 2015? The, 15, I think, yeah. The marriage. Uh, what, how close were you to that discussion? What was that like? I, I wasn't uh, involved at all. Um, um, except that at one stage, the left parties on the council wanted the Nearer Down County Council to endorse um, a yes vote. Uh, and I objected, saying that's not the role of a council, right? 
it wasn't actually taking a side one way or the other on the debate yeah. but saying sorry we deal with planning yes. and housing and parks mm. it's not for us to say to people and a cynic, to do would it. Say, a cynic would say with potholes so do you want me to move on to that yeah. how has the local politics been for you um, well it's obviously very different yeah. uh, having been in, in government and dealt with everything from um, as the education to social welfare to tourism to of enterprise you know yes. um but at the heart of any politician's work is serving the public right and the day you forget that is the day you should leave politics that's what michael e. Ray says and he, yeah. he succeeds every and time it doesn't matter whether you're a government minister yeah. or not so yeah. even in 2011 when that campaign was really difficult from a government perspective um it it was difficult obviously knocking on doors but there was still a huge amount of goodwill to look, we know, Mary, you've done a really good job, right? Either as a minister or locally. Mm. Um, but they felt they couldn't vote for Fianna Fáil again. Fair enough. Mm. Um, so in local politics, that's what you're doing now as well. Mm. Um, you're kind of serving the public. Uh, and as it happens to Neary West Down, it's a very good council and a very nice council. And it has some money. Good. Why? In, in the, it's mature? No, it, ha it has money. Okay, sorry. So it's able to do some, some good things, Fine. right? Uh, particularly in the whole area of parks. I chaired the Joint Policing Committee. I really like that. This is my sixth year doing that, mm. which brings together senior guardy, councillors, officials, and community representatives uh, to talk about policing in the area. Mm. So um, things like the destruction um, of some of the sports facilities, and sadly, again, at Christmas, um, the pitches there in Kimbaga Park, there are things that the police and committee hmm. uh, would be very vocal on, very act on fire active on, yeah. What happened um, there? People came in and drove troughs through them, like literally. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. I used to play soccer down You in, did, for I know, I know. So I, I, as do six different clubs. Yeah. So yeah. You're, you're, you have your ear to the ground locally in a way, would you say more than you did when you were... No, because I always tried to ensure um, that I kept my feet kind of firmly based. Mm. You see, I, I grew up in a family where public service was at the heart of it, where the door was always open for people to come in. Um, my grandfather, 100 years ago this year, was elected to the County Council, uh, literally 100 years ago in Langford. Uh, right? And then he went on to Tipperary, and then my aunt, my father, my brother, my cousin, right? all members of North Tipperary County Council and chairpersons of the council. Uh, but I remember, like, particularly my aunt, um, like people would come in and at that stage, you know, people weren't as well-educated or literate as they are now, mm. uh, looking for very basic help. And she'd write the letter for them and hand it to them and say, off you go now down to the post office and post it yourself. So they were still taking control of it. Okay. Um, but you were just helping people. And Dunleary as a constituency is very like that. I always say with Dunleary, you're not working for people, you're working with them. Okay. Right? Because, you know, they are very aware, they're very well-educated, the most best educated constituency in the country, right? But sometimes they just need a bit of guidance. Mm. Like, I have a problem, where do I go with this? Yes. So you're working with them to solve the problem. Okay. Um, and that makes it really interesting. It's funny, I think one party that shows a willingness to work with others, and it's forced to in many ways, doesn't have much of a choice, would be the Green Party, and mm. there's a Green man in charge of the council. Does that... Would you say that's true in his case and in, in the case of the Green Party? How, well, how has it been for you? What do you mean no Green Man in charge of the council? 
Well, he, isn't he the, cat, the chair in... No, in the not, no he was last year. Sorry, he was. Last year, no, Shea Brendan is the chair this My year. My bad. Yeah. Well, Ushin Smith was the chair yeah. and, and the Greens, because they're so small, they have to work with others. They do. Well, what's interesting in this council since 2019 um, is that Fine Party and Dunleary have always, now I mean always, controlled Dunleary West Down County Council. Okay. And despite the fact that they are the largest party on the council... They're not in control. They're not in the ruling body at all. It's Fianna Fáil, Labour, Greens, uh, Social Democrats and some independents. Mm -hmm. right? And all those other groups were more willing to work with Fianna Fáil than they were with Fine Gael, okay. which I think augurs well for the formation of the next government. Okay, could be a... And that has happened in quite a few places around the country. So what, again to return to a cynic's view, a cynic would say that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, you, you showed a nice example there on a personal level of, well, Fianna Fáil can work better with, with others maybe, in Dunleary and Rathdown. But there has to be, it has to be said that there is a lot of similarities between the people who vote for and the people who run for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. So what's the point in having the two, the two parties? Why do we need the two? Yeah, I think two parties anywhere give um, a, st a stability to the democratic system right because if you always have a mis mismatch say, of smaller parties mm -hmm. um, then it's hard to have coherent policies mm -hmm. right so I think it's important to have strong parties now I think they go the opposite degree in the United States yes where they only have and there's no room for anybody else no. now that's bad mm. right whereas in Ireland you'll always have because of the proportional representation system you'll always have smaller parties being able to make a contribution um, I think the differences that um, are to be seen between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael at the moment are probably in policy as much as in ideology right um, for example... You mean specifics? Yeah, I, I think emphasis. Okay. Right? Um, like Fianna Fáil always emphasised housing. Yes. Always. 30s, 50s, 80s, when there was no money, people, Fianna Fáil built houses. Mm. Right? Fianna Fáil has always emphasised uh, access to healthcare and education. Right? Other things have followed, but they have been at the core, mm. always. I would say Fine Gael, though, um, have always emphasised... Uh, law and order, um, not so much now, but certainly in the past, um, and the big economic picture, which of course is important. Right? So business and all you know, that. You have to get the big economic picture right in order to be able to deal with the others. Mm. But their emphasis then, I think, goes is wrong. Mm. Well, I think it's funny you mentioned the, the housing and things because it, it must be acknowledged, and I think it is acknowledged, I'm not the first person to say this, but the likes of Charlie Hawhey, and Bertie O'Hearn, while many people would see those fellas as in it for themselves or have questionable, reputa questionable reputations, they were very, very well liked by their local people who, who felt like, like in North Dublin, in both cases, that, that this fella cares yeah. about them. Can you tell me about Fianna Fáil in government under Bertie O'Hearn and Brian Cowan from... Brian Cowan took over, was it in 2008? Yeah. So yeah. for you, what was that like under Bertie first and then yeah. under Brian Cowan? Okay. Uh, firstly, I'm not going to let you away with just saying the two have questionable rep reputation. Right? I think you they know? do. They're, well, I suppose there were questions, but I wouldn't 
kind of slur Fine. their whole reputation with that. Okay. So, um, yeah, I was first appointed by Bertie Ahern. Um, I'd known him for a good while before I was elected to the Dáil. Um, and he just gave me the opportunity um, that, as I said earlier, a lot of people didn't get. Uh, so he appointed me the junior minister and then he appointed me to cabinet. Um, I always got on well with him. Mm -hmm. um, he supported me. I kind of supported him, backed him. Um, and today, right up to this time, I, I will still be quite friendly with him. Right? Um, and I'm really thrilled to see him playing such a big role in Brexit negotiations. Um, the success he's after having in Papua New Guinea, which is hard to even find on a map, mm -hmm. you know. Um, his contribution to the stalemate in Northern Ireland, you know, I think people are starting to realise that he actually has a huge amount to offer I those areas, you. right? Um, then when Brian Cowan took over, um, again, I had worked with him in government, um, but I had no entitlement to be appointed by him, and yet he did appoint me, okay. right, and kept me in his cabinet. Mm. Um, and I was grateful for that. I wouldn't necessarily have put myself in the job he put me in, um, in social welfare, but then he put me into tourism, mm. um, culture and sport, which I really loved as well. You know, it was such a dynamic mm. ministry to be in. Um, so, you know, it, I, I'm grateful to both of them yes. for the opportunity, as I say, of having been relatively short time in Dáil Éireann and spending most of it as a minister. Mm. Yeah, you have spent a long time. Well, and, and then you were deputy leader of Fianna Fáil. What, what went on there? Or, that was a time of... It was, Is it fair yeah. to say chaos in, in Fianna Fáil? You see, the, the pity of it was that I wasn't re-elected in 2011 yes. because I'd have been deputy leader for ha, this whole time. Been. Yes, well, exactly. Okay. It was just unfortunate then that when I lost my seat, I'd obviously lost that Sorry, so that's actually, again, if you look closer, I would have seen that, geez, you're only there for three months. But that's why I lost my seat. That's why. Yeah. If you had been, you were the deputy leader. I was Neil Martin's deputy leader. Going into the election. Yeah. Okay. Right. Fair enough. Um, and then, obviously, having lost my seat, you couldn't continue in that position. Mm. Um, and I would have enjoyed it in opposition. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think I, could, I would have been, a, I'm a debater by, by trade. Yes. So I think I would have enjoyed being in opposition as well. I, I think it's fair to say Bertie Ahern has, has done a lot of uh, work since his political, I suppose, doll career, let's say. What about Brian Cowan? How would you rate his success slash failure uh, looking back? Um, I think he was a really good Minister for Health and did a huge amount for disability, particularly. Um, I think when he came in as Minister for Finance, um, it was the most difficult time ever to have hit the country and to have hit the world. Mm -hmm. right? So it was a time of enormous pressure um, on him, on Brian Lenehan, um, and then on the government, but in that order, mm. actually, you know, yeah. um, and trying to make the very difficult decisions. And it's only now, I think, that people are saying, you know, this really was a world crisis. Mm. Um, the banks collapsed everywhere. As we speak, the news today is that NAMA is going to be giving two billion back to the exchequer, right, um, for the profit that they have made. Yet it was ridiculed at the time. Mm. Right. So decisions that were taken 10 years later we're now seeing the positive impact on that. That is not in any way to take from individuals who lost their jobs right? uh, and indeed individuals who lost their homes at mm -hmm. the time. But you know, for a few years after that crisis we heard nothing, only negative equity, people were in negative equity and how difficult it was. But of course, if they were able to hold on, mm -hmm. and not everybody was, but if they were able to hold on, those houses are now worth 
So you, what they paid for them maybe or a lot more, you know. You seem to look back then on that time as um well, without any guilt, I suppose. Do you feel no, any no, no, responsibility? Not, I, I'm not saying that's wrong, by the way. Yeah. I just want to ask. No, how no, do you that, feel? that's not true. I think. It, I, I'm it, not saying you should feel guilty. Do you know what I mean? I'm just. How do you feel about that? No, time? no, I felt really guilty, kind of um, coming out of government at that time when people lost their jobs and lost their homes, mm. and you couldn't but, right? You couldn't but, um, and everything was suffering because people hadn't money to spend. Mm. Um, confidence was lost so people who had money didn't spend it you know it, it was just a crash that was more than an economic crash uh, it actually impacted on on people's lives on their family lives right. um, yeah the, the whole confidence in in the world kind of in their personal worlds uh, and the morale had just collapsed um, so I mean I, I of of course, that was really difficult. Mm. It was really difficult to look at and really difficult to see. And of course, you question and say, okay, what role did I play in that? And then the other hand, I say, do you know what? I spent a lot of money when I was Minister for Education and I do it all again. Right? Mm. And even at the time when things were difficult, I was writing to Brian Cowan, as the records will show, I'm sure, in the future, mm -hmm. looking for capital expenditure for schools and making the point it'll keep people working in the building trade. Yeah. Right, so so that was your legacy. But there were still so many gaps that you wanted to spend money on, yeah. but the money just wasn't there. Yeah, you know. So, yes, insofar as decisions of mine, either individually or collectively, as part of the government, and in the end of the day, it was a collective decision, mm -hmm. and it's a constitutional role where it's a collective decision. So, decisions of mine that gave rise to individuals and the public and the country having a difficult time. Mm. Yes. Absolutely, really regret those. Fair enough. What decisions? Did, what did you do wrong? I think as a government, as I say, said to you individually, I think yeah, I spent all the money I, I can get on education. But yeah, please let me do it, right? Um, but I think collectively, an over dependence on the stamp duty from house building. Okay. Um, I think was one of the big issues. Okay. Um, current government would want to be very careful because there could well be an over dependence of corporation tax. Um, from all of the foreign investors in the country. Um, so, but I, I think that lesson was probably learned. Okay. Um, and I, I think that was the biggest thing. You seem to enjoy a fondness at the doorsteps. That's the impression I get among people who like you and appreciate you and uh, just see you as a good person who, who represents them. And I wonder, do you feel that warmth and gratitude within the Fianna Fáil party, especially in the upper echelons of that party. So, how do you feel about <laughs> that? a good question. How do, you, how do you feel about that? That's a very good question. Is there a contrast there? Uh, okay, on the first half, yeah, I, I love the doorstep, love the public. Um, and even when things were difficult, people were very personally nice to me. Um, and anywhere I go in the country now, I get people who recognise me all the time as, you were Minister for Education. It's always the one that people but kind not of latch on to. Or, or something else. No, but they always mean? remember me in education because it's so important to every house in Ireland. Yes. Every single home in Ireland is interested in education, mm -hmm. has a view on education. But right. That's how I remember you, genuinely, yeah, as so, Minister for Education. Yeah, yeah, so people know like who the minister was, what you did, you know, yeah. you supported this, you did the other, you know, and there were a lot of achievements that I'm proud of in education, particularly the introduction of the DESH scheme for disadvantaged. Um, the graduate entry to medicine that uh, <laughs> you'll know about. Um, 
Is, is my brother thank, uh, thankful of that? Your, your brother is very appreciative of that, yes. Really? Yes. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so, the, well, how, you, you could only get to be a doctor at that stage by having the 600 points, and there was no other entry. Okay. Um, whereas then we introduced the, the graduate entry, but um, there were the only two other things to mention. But anyway, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. not your question. Yeah. Um, I think um, within Fianna Fáil then, not forgetting the fact that Michal Martin did appoint me as his deputy leader, right? Um, but then there was a bit of a shamovel in 2014 where I was asked to run for the locals and then people got panicky and then they asked me not to run for the locals and I'm saying, no way, Jose, am I going to be treated like that? I'm a senior member of the party. I've given a lot to it. You're not going to ask me to do something and then withdraw it, you know? So even though Michal Martin rang me over a long weekend, three times to say, we don't want you to run, we don't want you to run, but they had given me the nomination papers, which was their big mistake. <laughs> so I lodged my nomination papers and then went on to Shauna Rook's programme to say, I'm running as a candidate. You know? So it actually, it, it was wonderful. It was a great campaign. So there was absolutely nothing to lose. Yeah. Nothing to lose and all my team rallied around and it was great, you know. Um, so where that would have been a dip in relations between myself and Fianna Fáil, Suddenly they realised, okay, she managed to get elected on the first count. <laughs> so then things improved again then from then on. Okay. You know, um, and that's why Michael Martin says to me, yeah, I want you back in the doll. He does say that to you? Yeah, yeah. And said it as recently as Christmas, I want you to run. I want you to be back in the doll. I've always okay. wanted you back in the doll. I see, personally, this is only purely anecdotal, but I see something of an, an insincerity in him that he's very in tune to what the polls are saying, what the people want. He's a very good debater. I don't know if I trust him. Uh, do, do you think he has like a, a backbone where he will sometimes put the right thing ahead of uh, the polls, for example? Do you think, do you, do you think, do you trust him? Okay. I, like, for example, this is why I'm asking you this. All of a sudden, oh yeah, Mary, I want you to run again. Where a few years ago, it's like, Mary, will you go away? And, and now he can't really be seen to say, Mary, will you go away because Evan in Blackrock is voting for you. So he has no choice. It's a, it certainly does an element of, I want to win the seat. Mm. And I want to win a seat in Dunleary. And I now recognise, okay, you're the one that might actually win it. You know, now that's um, in the end of the day up to the public. But yes, okay, there is an element of that. But on the bigger picture, I think, Michal Martin is basically a good person. Right? Um, and I think he is inherently a decent good person um, and that's what you need in national politics um, so his decisions at various times obviously they're going to be driven for political need they're going to be driven by polls they're going to be driven by all sorts of things but I would trust him because of his own innate decency to do the right thing so tell me about your studies and other interests, I suppose, is interests, right word, but since... Since 2011. Uh, exactly. What since have you done since then? Okay, uh, well, having spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a long number of years um, as minister, I suddenly found myself in February 2011 kind of going, okay, what am I going to do now, you yeah. know? Um, and, like, my whole life had changed significantly because my husband had died in the meantime and suddenly I've lost my seat, so I needed to be busy. Okay. I was never somebody who was going to do nothing. I started by doing a television series with T.G. Cahar, um, which was a really good series, I thought. Um, it was a competition of small communities uh, to promote the Irish language. Mm -hmm. um, so we travelled the country with us. There were three of us um, as adjudicators. And that was really fun. Really enjoyed it. 
because uh, I'm interested in the Irish language um, and you could see what local communities could do. I then um, spent a term in Notre Dame University um, and that was fantastic. Teaching or studying? Teach, yeah, I was what they call a, um, a visiting fellow. Okay. Um, and no, I was actually teaching. They were really good to me. Um, I was living on campus uh, and I worked very hard right? because they looked at my ministerial record. So whereas I was sponsored by education, right? Um, and Martin Nocton, of course, is the main benefactor of the Irish Studies right. course in um, Notre, Dame. Notre Dame. I actually wasn't with the Irish Studies group, even though I did speak to their students. Um, but I was with education. But then they looked and said, oh, you're Minister of Education and Science. Will you talk to our science group? Right? And then it was Enterprise, Enterprise Trade and Innovation. Oh, will you talk about innovation? Will you talk about marketing? Then, oh, you talk about ethics. So, so I, I did a huge amount of lecturing and group work um, from education to European studies to all the things I've mentioned. Um, and that was a great experience too because I'd never been in an American university okay. working. Um, and How did you find that? It's so completely different. Mm. Completely different. Um, now, it's a very Catholic conservative university. Okay. Um, it's also very white Right, um, but they're ex extremely talented, um, bright young people who work very hard. And I remember the day I arrived, I was in the bookshop and I met one of the Irish lecturers on the Irish Studies course, and she said, "Don't ever take them for granted." She said, "Go in well prepared." Now I'd never go into a class on it. As in, don't well go in casually, basically. Don't go in casually. Don't go in casually. Have your work done. Okay. And it was true; they were very kind of smart. Well prepared. The students. Quite, the students. Okay. Yeah. And really interested and they'd it's contact so you afterwards. It's very competitive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, no, they were just lovely, lovely people and the staff were very supportive. And I got very friendly with them with Professor Bob Schmuel, um, who's the American Studies professor who does a lot on RTE. He writes for the Irish Independent now as well. Um, so I made good friends okay. out of it and that lasted. But it was a great experience, you know. To and, and you said to me, just before we started this conversation, how you mightn't have had an academic training in those areas that you were talking about, but there's a lot of people with an academic uh, record, but without a practical That's right, so that's, that's what they were really interested in. Now, I suppose it does help that I can teach, okay? Because not everybody can stand up in front of a class. No, okay. it's a performance, uh, really. It is, it is, you know, um, and at least having spent so many years teaching in Sign Hill, I knew it didn't matter the size of the class, I knew I could go in and do. That. So whether it was a small group on European studies or a very large group on marketing, mm. okay, so, so that was a confidence starting off. Um, they since set up a school of government and actually the provost asked me would I be interested in going back over. Um, and if I was, the time to go in was at the very beginning of it. It would have been an interesting time, but just personally that didn't suit me. Okay. Um, but yeah, their point is, you know, a lot of people have book knowledge. Mm. A lot of people have the academic knowledge. but don't have the practical experience of government. Um, Which so, you brought. Yeah, okay. so they enjoy hearing that. And you did your own study then in UCD. Yeah, I'm right? kind of passionate about education and everybody's education. And I always encourage people at every age to mm. keep going. So um, I did a master's in the Clinton Institute in UCD uh, in American studies. Now, unfortunately, it was before Donald Trump was elected, so I probably would need to go back and start all over mm. again. Um, but again, the, that was... That was great. I just loved it okay. um, because it what was, you learn it was it? lectures. Um, we did 
American foreign policy, okay. um, American history of foreign policy, um, we did American culture, um, American kind of media. Uh, we did, um, I did it over one year, uh, so I had to do a thesis as well. And I did my thesis on the future of the Irish American organizations for the new diaspora, right? Because traditionally, and I would have met them as minister, uh, people went and they joined their Tipperary Association or the Longford Association or the Corkmans or whatever, uh, and they were kind of the key organisations. Um, but now people going to the States, they're more mobile, they're better educated, they're more likely to be female as well, they're more connected, right? they're more connected with home. Uh, mm -hmm. So all of that I think needs to be reflected in the organisation. So I, I looked at that and then looked particularly at the Ireland Funds and at the Ireland US Council, which is a group that I'm very fond of, which is a kind of an, an economic link, a business association, uh, and looking to see how they can develop to reflect the new mm. diaspora. It is astonishing the level of connection between the two countries. Like, I feel that and I genuinely believe I'm better off. Like they say, as a white male, in America, you're the most privileged. I think as an Irish person going to America, you're even actually better off. Everyone loves. And you're in Alabama. In, in Alabama. Alabama, where you wouldn't expect it to be. It doesn't matter where you are, do you know? Yeah. Like, because everyone claims some Irish heritage mm. or some, some connection. And even if they don't have a very strong one, they will make a bloody good effort to tell you. I was uh, coming uh, in from Brooklyn back into Manhattan on the train last year. Mm. Right, and I'm just sitting down, uh, and I was talking to um, a young fellow that was with me. Uh, he was standing, and I was talking. And next thing, the man beside me turned to me and said, Are "You Mary Hannafin? <laughs> this is on a train from Brooklyn." And I go, "Yeah." You know? I said, "Yeah, I thought that was your voice." Um, I said, "How would you recognise me?" He said, "No, I remember when you were Minister for Education." <laughs> um, and I knew it was a Northern voice, but I didn't think it was Johnny Gall. And I said, "Where are you from?" He was from Newry. So I wasn't even Minister for Education when he, when he was in school, like, because I was yeah. in a different jurisdiction. Yeah. Um, but I said, okay, right. but suddenly it was that connection, mm. it was that link yes. that they want to make. Mm. No, it's lovely. Let's say you pursued other, uh, not, you pursued an academic or educational interest for a couple of years. Have you just been basically a full-time counsellor then since 2014? Is that what's happened? Um, I also do some work with the OECD. Um, on their governance program, uh, promoting the participation of women in politics. So I have done some study visits, well, called study, uh, peer support visits, they call them, um, in Jordan, Bahrain, Tunisia, um, Egypt, uh, and then just before Christmas, um, I went to Kuala Lumpur wow. at the invitation of uh, South Korea. Uh, who were organising for the Asia-Pacific region to try and get women involved. Wow. Um, so I really enjoyed that. And mm. again, what they love is the fact, here's somebody who actually got elected. Mm. Here's somebody who was at the highest levels. Okay. Um, and because confidence is the thing that holds back women in every society. Okay. Um, Ireland, Egypt, Kuala Lumpur, whatever. Mm. Um, so I, I do that as well. So it sounds like... You're talking, and I don't, I hesitate to just place a label on things because sometimes that can be limiting, but would you call yourself a feminist? Yeah, I would always, sorry, I'll start again. People wouldn't consider me a feminist, 
right? Because I was never involved in all of those kind of the social issues, right? I would consider myself a very strong feminist regarding uh, women's participation in society, um, the women in democracy in its widest sense, uh, women's pay, women's pensions. Um, I'm looking at the at the moment within the council, which is quite extraordinary. Janura Town County Council is 50 50 wow. male female. Now, I don't know if anywhere else that, that has happened without quotas, right? But yet our work practices haven't changed. And our budget meeting went on until 20 to 2 in the morning. Right? Another meeting that was meant to finish at 7 ended at half 9. And I could see women around me particularly. Um, one heavily pregnant, others with young children, one with a newborn baby. And they were stuck. They couldn't get home and they were trying to make arrangements and everything else. Um, so, I mean, feminism also has to be about uh, supporting women in that kind of a work environment and changing the practices. And I've also written to all of the women in the council just now, actually, to say, this is a unique opportunity, right? So now that we're starting on new committees and new policy areas, mm. can we work together to see what can we do to yeah. support women, which ultimately would support society in general, mm. and the people will be able to say, the nearly was 50-50, and this is the difference it made. Mm. Because it's very fragile. We have two less women in the doll than we had six months ago. Because two of them got elected to Europe and they were replaced in the by-elections by two men. Mm. Right. So it's a very fragile number. Mm. So I think you need to kind of grab that opportunity while you can. So it's a big, for you, the, the fact that they're a woman is a big deal. Absolutely. The fact that what? That, like that you're being a woman in like... The, the no, I, I actually have never trumped that card mm. at all. I've never played it. Um, I was always, I was very involved in youth organisations, right? I was always the young candidate, mm. even when I got elected. I never followed any of the women's agenda, mm. right? Um, but now that I've been out in national politics for a few years and involved in local politics mm. and looking back and looking from an international perspective, mm. I realised, you know, we're a very small group. Mm. We're a very privileged, small group. So therefore, if we don't make the changes mm. to support other people coming after us, mm. there's nothing to encourage them. Fair enough. So... Is that the essence of what you stand for? What, what do you stand for overall, more generally? Um, I mean, I, I think I am and will be seen as a person of integrity. Um, and would always bring um, the, the highest standards uh, to any kind of work that I would do. Uh, and that's what I would like people to see. So that doesn't matter whether it's dealing with an individual, dealing with the council or dealing with government. Um, and that's not, that's not a, a political stance. No. That's a personal one. Okay. Right. Um, and I think integrity is hugely important in political life. Um, and I would say we'll bring that. Then, to broaden that out to my policy interests, right, uh, they're always education, right, um, because I think it is the answer to a huge amount of social progress mm. and economic progress. Um, and also for the removal of divisions in society. Um, so, it, as I say, it, it remains my, my biggest interest. Um, but I would try to bring my knowledge and experience uh, to that policy as well as to others. Lovely. Well, I think one thing that I, I... I like the distinction you made about the feminism, can, because there, there can be 
there can appear to be a feeling of it's us versus them, women versus men, and I don't think you feel that, but you feel like women have a lot to offer, and let's facilitate that and encourage that. Yeah. Without, without being belligerent about it. No, no, no. Absolutely not. Where I'm going with that is two men in your lives have died in relatively recent years. Can you tell me about their impact? Firstly, your father, more recently, his impact on you. Oh, enormous, enormous. And whereas my father, in the public eye, uh, would be associated with being kind of a right-wing conservative um, because he led the um, anti-abortion campaign for, for a number of years. Um, and I, I'm glad he died in 2017. I'm glad he didn't see the outcome of the last referendum. I think it would have broken his heart, so. you know. Um, but I think the biggest influence that he had on me was to be a person of principle. Because even though he knew he was going to lose the whip and potentially and did lose his seat um, in the Senate for standing up for his principles, he did that. Right? Um, and I think if you have that courage in public life, um, I think that makes for better politicians. Mm. Um, and he certainly instilled that in me. Okay. So a huge admiration to be who you are. But he was also very ambitious for me. Okay. Right. Um, Are you an only child? No, of a brother. Okay. Brother, yeah. Oh, sorry, he was a politician too. Yeah, 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 yeah senator yeah, yeah. as well. No, yeah. we're, we're a political family, yes. you know. Um, yes. And he was really disappointed, God rest him, um, after the 2016 election, because we thought we might make it, you know, because um, it was a really good, positive campaign. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a pity he didn't live to see it, but at the same time, you know, he was, he was my biggest supporter mm. on the way. Um, and then... Uh, obviously, then my husband died. He never got to see me in cabinet. Okay. That's why my appointment as a junior minister is very special because he was there that day. That's lovely. Yeah. Um, but um, sadly, he died two thousand three, and I was appointed to cabinet two thousand four. And was his death a sudden one, or? Yeah, he was um, a senior counsel, and he was in um, Donegal at the, um, the Garda Tribunal, um, and died in his sleep. Okay. Wow. Well. Yeah. So that was. Kind of and you've gone up to McGill uh, Summer School. You have yeah. a connection to Donegal. Um, no, I've. I mean, I've, I've spoken a few times at, yeah. uh, at McGill. Um, and it's a great place. I've no re real connection. I must go up again now this year because <laughs> I love it. But I think the loss of somebody like Noel Whelan mm. from McGill is a big, oh. a big gap. In, was he in a pillar of that? He was. Yeah, he was, and pillar of sense. Mm. You know. So um, th these are voices that you miss. Yeah. Well, Mary, I wish you all the best. I won't be here, uh, I can't be declaring who I vote for, but I won't be here to be able to vote for you in, uh, in the next election, I don't think. Well, see, what's I'll interesting be, about in America, that now, so. hold on, is that there was a campaign for home to vote yeah. for the referendum, and I guarantee you there won't be a campaign of home to vote to elect a government. Mm. Do you right. think there should be? Um, I don't think there should be at all, to be honest. No, but Wait, sorry, when you say home to vote... Sorry, you mean actually to come home? They were dragging people home to vote Sorry, from everywhere kind of I, thing and getting them on the register. And I that. thought you meant people voting from abroad, my bad. No, go no, on. yeah. No. yeah, yeah. Um, but there was a campaign to get people home to vote for yes. that. There will not be a campaign to get people home to vote for a government, even saying. though that is just as important and more important in many ways. Um, well, just as important. I see what you're saying. As a referendum. Well, so in your case... I get, what, I get what you're saying. Okay, I'll canvas you now. <laughs> I will ask you for your vote now, and in the event that you're home to vote, I look forward to getting your number one vote. Thank you, Fergus. Thanks, Mary Hannafin. <laughs>